it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello and welcome to this edition of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. This week on the programme we celebrate the achievements of somebody whose name you've probably heard around the traps in Blind Citizens Australia, someone who's been involved with the organisation for a very long time, but spends most of his time working in the background and making things sound good. Dale Simpson, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Vaughan. Good to be here. You've been working with Blind Citizens Australia doing audio production and uh, broadcast uh, editing and all sorts of things for quite a long time. How did you get started and what started your interest in technology and broadcasting? 1987 was the first uh, real involvement with BCA and that was due to, I guess, my father John starting with as executive officer in 86. So, you know, I'd, I'd done with John many uh, PA setups and uh, recordings for Victorian Blind Cricket Association and three RPH as a volunteer before that. But as far as BCA, or NFBCA as it was then goes, 1987, uh, the first convention that we did together was in Ormond Hall, um, which was a part of the RVIB, and that was a live broadcast uh, across the RPH network for the opening uh, session of the, the convention. And I worked very closely then with John Machen and Neville Kerr, who'd been doing convention sound for many years. As far as where I got started, in the the, the interest of uh, audio and electronics. I guess that goes back to a family interest. Um, my father was always interested when he worked as a, a younger person at RVIB in the public relations department and then at Red Cross. I would assist him with you know, setting up PA uh, equipment for fundraising functions and those sort of things. But my uncle, uh, Peter Simpson, had worked uh, since 1974, I think it was, uh, at Channel 7, HSV7 in Melbourne, uh, as a cable puller initially when HSV7 uh, and all of the television commercial stations went to, to colour in Melbourne. Peter was employed as a, as a cable puller. By the time he left Channel 7 in 2003, he'd become the chief engineer and the designer of what was then the Channel 7 Broadcast Centre at, at Telstra Dome. So there's always been a a real interest in the family in electronics and uh, broadcasting. Mm. Most people probably don't realise just what's involved in doing sound, particularly uh, for a Blind Citizens Australia convention. And some of the setups that you've done uh, for those conventions involve uh, a significant number of aspects. Can you just briefly run us through some of the things that you have to think about when, uh, when you know there's a convention coming up and you're doing the sound for it? Sure. Uh, I guess firstly the logistics of how are we going to get the equipment to the venue and that's not so much of a problem in Melbourne but um, I've travelled all over Australia doing BCA conventions. So there's the, the uh, what sort of public address equipment do we need? Do we need to hire speakers and, and microphone stands and uh, mixing consoles and, and microphone uh, multi-core cables and, and those sort of things? But then there's also the broadcast aspects of that. You know, uh, what are we going to record the, the convention on? And I go back to, uh, with conventions, working with John and Neville, where we used to use very high-quality cassette decks and open reel machines and then DAT machines before 
computer technology was around um, and the, the broadcast aspect of that, you know, arranging initially Telstra lines to uh, feed the audio to the RPH network. You know, we used to do the opening session of a convention, uh, whether that be on a, a Friday night or a Saturday morning, live around the country on the uh, RPH network. So we'd have to organise Telstra lines for that. We would then do highlights packages every night of the, the day's uh, convention proceedings. So there was the recording of those proceedings and the editing and then the production of, of that to get it out as a 15 or a 30 minute or a 60 minute program. So there was always a lot of planning involved beforehand as to what equipment I'm going to need, how I'm going to get it there, then how long it's going to take to, to set that up, working uh, in conjunction then with, with Telecom and then Telstra uh, and hotel staff or conference uh, venue staff. Things became a lot easier when uh, you know the IP technology uh, came into in, into to, to play. Um, we went from tele you know, analog landlines to ISDN, and then to be able to use the internet and you know patch into a hotel uh, internet infrastructure or to use 4G uh, with portable equipment. So over the years, the technology has changed so much. Um, I remember, you know, a, a trip to Adelaide in 1988. We had a, a full trailer load of equipment that we took with us. Um, to do a convention now, um, you, you need, well, the last uh, interstate convention that I did um, was in Hobart. Um, I couriered a couple of boxes of equipment over. We hired a PA system over there and the rest of the stuff I bought with me on the plane. So... The, the, the gear that you need now is so much simpler to set up. Um, but but also in a convention environment, as, as many people who are long convention attendees would be aware, a BCA convention has often multiple um, presentations happening at once. Um, you know, you'll have workshops in one part of the hotel. You'll have uh, the main presentations in a large convention room those convention areas require audio loop systems for people with hearing impairments good well-spread sound uh, numerous radio microphones so that our volunteers can move around and get to people when they want to ask questions so there's always a lot of equipment plus we always have set up a studio where people like Stephen Jolly, Neville Kerr, uh, Fiona Woods, Graham Innes and of course yourself have done the highlights packages and, and, and live broadcasts back to the uh, RPH network. So there's always a lot of equipment and planning involved. And it sounds so seamless when you're uh, on the convention floor and you hear things happen. I mean, obviously there are technical issues from time to time and, you know, uh, people not using microphones correctly, but it's all handled so completely seamlessly. And I think uh, it's a credit to you and uh, and to the people who work with you that it works so well. But usually it is just you, isn't it? Uh, pretty much. Over the years, I've had assistance from a number of friends and, and, and certainly with family. Um, you know, John's always been, my father's always been involved in helping set up equipment before a convention. But certainly that uh, that has changed over his his tenure with BCA because his role has changed from being executive officer and, and on the board and as a president. So therefore, his requirements have been needed somewhere else. Um, but I've had I've had people work with me. Um, 
probably in the last uh, 10, 15 years, one of the most important people that's been uh, working with me uh, in, in a number of BCA and Vision Australia projects ar around Australia is in fact my wife Tammy who has helped uh, drive me to uh, venues all across the, the, the country, um, helped me set up, tolerated the, the, the long hours, um, helped me pack up and, and worked alongside me. Um, but yeah, there's been a number of people over the last 30 odd years with BCA and BCA members who have certainly worked alongside me to, to assist getting the things to air. From a technical point of view, though, yes, I, I sort of managed all the, the technical side of that myself. How did you learn to uh, put together and understand and work with what, uh, generally speaking, are really quite some elaborate setups? I, I guess uh, trial and error to start with, um, having a good knowledge of audio and how audio signals work. Um, being across um, broadcast and, and, and PA equipment, you know, the understanding, the fundamentals of that, uh, but also learning from, from peers. Um, yes, some of those setups are quite elaborate, and you, you look at setups like um, if, you, if you look at the World Blind Union uh, Fifth General Assembly in at the Melbourne Town Hall in 2000, that was a huge project. That was very elaborate. You know, we... I had a team of people working for me and with me to, to set that up. We had people dedicated to concentrating on the, the audio uh, from the, 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 the conference itself. We set up a radio studio and a low power uh, FM transmitter to cover all of the Melbourne CBD area. We set up a fairly elaborate uh, master control and distribution point to be able to send audio to different parts of the Melbourne Town Hall, to the radio transmitter, back to the RPH stations for broadcast, uh, to uh, the Optus satellite service. So I, it, it's, a, it's not a question I can answer easily. Um, it's something that I've learned over the years by working with other people, working with some very good contacts within the broadcast industry. Um, and it just, a lot of it just seems to, to come naturally. We often speak on New Horizons to people who do what could be considered unusual jobs for somebody who's blind or vision impaired. And I guess your, uh, your professional role could fall into that category because there haven't been very many blind or vision impaired people across Australia who uh, do the type of work you do with Vision Australia Radio. I'm aware of a number of blind and vision impaired people who have been audio engineers across the country. Um, Matt Ponsonby uh, in, in New South Wales in, in the 70s and 80s. Um, of course, John Machen here in Melbourne, Neville Kerr. Uh, and John and Neville, Neville, Neville had a, a, a background in, in radio in uh, regional Victoria in Shepparton. I'm not aware of uh, too many, or I'm not aware of any low vision or, or blind technicians in radio. Um, I'm aware of Peter Simpson, my uncle, who was uh, considered legally, or certainly is considered legally blind, who started with Channel 7 in Melbourne in 1974. By the time Peter left Channel 7 with retirement in 2003, 
he'd become the chief broadcast engineer for the the, the Melbourne service and had designed the uh, the Melbourne uh, Playout Centre uh, when Channel 7 moved into what was then the Telstra Dome. Uh, and Peter's done a number of major national and international projects since then, such as uh, the designer of the um, uh, International Media Centre for the Melbourne Commonwealth Games. Now, I'm not aware of any other vision-impaired people uh, who, who have got that level of experience in, in radio or television. Tell us a bit about your role, and uh, because Vision Australia Radio is quite an elaborate uh, setup and involves not just standard broadcasting equipment that you might expect, things like consoles and transmitters and microphones, but there's a whole lot else that goes into it. There is. Um, when I first started with, I started with the Free RPH uh, back as a volunteer in the early 1980s. I certainly can't claim to be one of the original uh, founders of Three RPH, but I was started there as a volunteer in probably about 84, 85, doing uh, outside broadcasts with the Victorian Blind Cricket Association, actually, and then was doing some production work with them and through the early 90s was on the operations and technical advisory committee there. In 2009, they approached me and said, we wanting to change our systems, we wanting to upgrade our systems and, and, and move forward with technology. Uh, we understand you have a, a background in the way that the station was built. Um, and I was employed for 12 months as a, a consultant with, with Vision Australia Radio, as it then became. And that first 12 months, one of the things that, that Vision Australia had committed to was to put in a, an automated playout system and, and computerise some of their studio equipment and to uh, replace a lot of the older uh, analogue gear that at that stage was, you know, 20, 30 years old, um, 3RPH then, or Vision Australia Radio had already then had a platform across the, the AM service in Melbourne and uh, seven FM stations in regional Victoria. But since that time, we've grown to uh, a number of digital, two digital services in Melbourne. Uh, Vision Australia has uh, incorporated 5RPH uh, and its services and studios under the Vision Australia umbrella. Uh, in 2011-12 and then in 2015 uh, we took over the uh, the Perth service so I'm now responsible for studios and transmission services in Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, a digital service in Darwin, uh, a satellite service that that uh, is up on the Optus Vast platform, um, seven services across regional Victoria which include a number of transmission services and four studios and uh, internet streaming uh, and then of course one of the things I don't I don't really get involved with except from a technical point of view to support the uh, the, the platform is is podcasting but we have since 2009 We've replaced all of our analog equipment. We have digital studios and, and, and uh, autom automated uh, computer playout machines in in Melbourne, Adelaide, and, uh, and and Perth, and a fairly elaborate master control and uh, network distribution environment uh, in Melbourne, which has full remote access to me at home. So, in fact, I now work from home probably 95% of the time. Uh, in fact, through, through the last two years, it's been more like 99.9% .9 of the time. Um, 
managing all of the switching and uh, any problems with any of the computers in any of the studios or any of the mixing consoles. Um, the only thing that, of course, has been very hard to manage, you know, remotely is actual physical maintenance. If you know a pair of headphones or a microphone or something like that breaks, or there's a transmission issue at a at a uh, a transmission hut, which is hard to get to. But um, everything is is all IP based now, uh, and we have built up a very robust uh, technical uh, broadcast network over the last ten years. It's remarkable to think how these things work now. I mean, we we started really, I guess, in network radio, what, 20, 30 years ago. Did you ever mm. think when you were first involved with 3RPH back in the 80s that you'd be able to sit at home and listen to any of uh, any of uh, about uh, 10 or 12 RPH stations and control them? And, you know, Never. <laughs> uh, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it, just how Never things Never in 1983, 84 did I ever think I'd be responsible for them let alone be able to listen to them all from home and control the quality of their sound and, and maintain that. It's absolutely fascinating. And uh, you were recognised very recently by the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia with an award for your work with Vision Australia Radio and your support of the community radio industry generally. Huge surprise. Uh, very humbled. And as I've said numerous times, Whilst I absolutely appreciate that award, it's a team effort. Uh, I work with a very good team of people, um, a, an excellent uh, manager in Conrad Brown, who supports me in wanting to be innovative uh, and, and has allowed me to work from home. Uh, I live in regional Victoria now, so I'm not just a stone's throw away from the, the Kuyong studios. So I plan my trips. Um, Conrad has been absolutely supportive of that and, and the staff that I work with. Um, but I also want to come back to, I, I mentioned my wife Tammy before, um, in 2017 Vision Australia Radio and Vision Australia went through a, a major uh, refurbishment building project um, and we actually had to move all of our studios at Kuyong. Um, I couldn't have done that and I couldn't have worked through the last number of years from home without the support of my family because we were running the network at home at one stage, you know, play out machines and doing all of the distribution to the regional stations in Perth. You don't just decide to do that uh, without the support of your family around you when you're running a whole of you know, audio equipment and noisy computers in a third bedroom that make noise overnight and that sort of thing. Um, I've been very lucky to have all of that support. Not to mention uh, when you get woken up at three o'clock in the morning because an alarm goes off because a transmitter's Correct. down or a playout system's Absolutely. not working. Yeah, yeah. And and, and when you have teleconference meetings with you know your your software vendors at two three o'clock in the morning who work in America or Canada, mm -hmm. um, yeah, th those sort of things. You you can't do that without that level of support from your family. Dale, before we finish up, where do you think we are in terms of accessibility to radio? Do you think that radio and broadcasting, either from a presentation or production point of view or even a technical point of view, uh, is a more viable career for people who are blind or vision impaired these days? Or would you say that uh, we've still got a long way to go? I think we've still got a long way to go. Um, I think the electronics industry from a, uh, a service level component design, no, not so much design, but component and build 
level is very, very hard for a vision-impaired person now. Um, I'll be totally honest. I do very little um, work as far as main, you know, changing components over on a piece of equipment because the industry has moved in such a way where no one does that anymore. You don't replace components on a circuit board. You replace the board. Um, with surface mount technology, that has become impossible for me to, to even consider doing that, that level of uh, service work. Um, from a programming, from a software uh, point of view, from an accessibility point of view, providing we make sure that we choose the right software for you know, playout systems and uh, we make sure that that's compatible with our screen reading software and, and, and alike. Um, the future is probably brighter than it was in the days of labelling carts and, and open reel tapes with braille and having to follow braille or large print run sheets and those sort of things. That, that is all so much now, so much easier with technology. We just need to make sure that the equipment that is put into studios uh, is accessible for blind people. Um, we need to make sure that simple things, and I use the example of a broadcast console that has one button on it to turn a microphone channel on and off. So if you're a vision impaired person or a totally blind person, you can't tell whether the light says that channel is on or off. So when choosing equipment, make sure that there is a button for each function. Um, Make sure that when you are choosing equipment that you're responsible for programming, that you make a button dedicated to a function, not a button dedicated to two or three functions, depending on what the little light tells you or what the display on the touchscreen computer screen tells you. Mm. There are ways around these things, but they've got to be thought through. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, there's got to be consultation there. We have a number of vision impaired uh, operators around the country, uh, you know, panel operators and presenters. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't do my job with a conscience if, if I put in uh, systems that weren't accessible to them. And I, I think that Vision Australia particularly has always shown a willingness to uh, to employ as volunteers people who are blind or vision impaired. And of course, if you're interested in radio, contact your local RPH station. Dale, thanks for joining us on the program and a big congratulations uh, on behalf of the members of Blind Citizens Australia on your award. It's absolutely well deserved and uh, we look forward to, I guess, really hearing from you at uh, future conventions. Thanks, Vaughan. It's been a pleasure to be on and, and well done for being the first... Uh presenter of uh, New Horizons or the BCA radio program to actually get me on air. And just before we go, a reminder that the Blind Citizens Australia office is currently closed and will reopen after the 10th of January. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realisation of a dream Of our dreams